This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Play-by-play cast, back at it another week. Thank you, as always, for clicking subscribe or download and joining us here on a Friday morning, or, in fact, whenever you've hit play on your podcasting device. My name is Joel Godette. This is the podcast for Play-by-play guys, about Play-by-play guys, hosted by a Play-by-play guy. As always, you can find the podcast on social media. Hit us up on Twitter, at PXPCast. You can find myself on Twitter, at Joel Godette, J-O-E-L, G-O-D-E-T-T. Uh, we'd love to hear from you with comments, suggestions, things we do horribly wrong, uh, things we do not so horribly wrong, uh, things you've learned, whatever have you, or whatever you've taken from a podcast or would like to contribute. Uh, go ahead and shoot it our way and uh, love interacting and hearing from people as well as always. Quick reminder that if you are new to the podcast, all of our previous episodes are also archived. So you can just scroll all the way back through and get through... I don't even know what it is now, 35 episodes or so of Play-By-Play cast dating all the way back to our first with Carter Blackburn, our second with Andy Demetra. I believe Doug Greenwald was our third. He was our first minor league baseball announcer guest. And we have another minor league baseball announcer guest on this week's episode of the podcast. Before we introduce him, though, also, if you get a second, take a few minutes. Uh, would really appreciate it. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Well, I already said subscribe. Rate, review, Leave some stars, leave a message, something that says you enjoy the podcast or you hate the podcast, however you uh, indeed feel about the podcast, but uh, do leave a rating or a view. It just, it, it's, it's good, it makes it look good, it certainly helps in the algorithms of people searching for podcasts about media and radio and all those good things, uh, so go ahead and leave us a, a review and a rating as well if you enjoy uh, getting together here every week. All right, on to our guest. He is the voice of the Rochester Red Wings, the AAA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. Prior to that, the AAA affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles, based out of Rochester, New York, the International League. Josh Wetzel is our guest. He also does some basketball on the side. He's the voice of the Buffalo Bulls of the Mid-American Conference, and that's how Josh and I, well, we met originally through baseball, but we hooked up to do this podcast uh, through his job as the voice of the Buffalo Bulls because they were in Muncie last week. The Bulls took on and and utterly obliterated my Ball State Cardinals at 9 o'clock at night last Friday. The game was on ESPN News. They moved it uh, a day early and three hours, two hours later than normal to, to put it on national television. And the Bulls, uh, they gave Josh a good one to call. They gave me a good first half to call. The second half, not as much. But, uh, but Josh was in town, so we got a chance to sit down in my office and and knock out a podcast because let's be honest the game was at nine o'clock and uh we didn't have a lot to do because it's a long day waiting for a nine o'clock tip-off especially i mean he's on the road so he's in the hotel just trying to kill some time we we hooked up after shoot around and and taped the podcast i'm in the office just trying to kill some time and even when you come in later like a nine o'clock start i mean if you get into the office at 11 that's still kind of a long day. So uh, we did a podcast on Friday and, uh, and yacked it up about a whole bunch of different topics. 
Josh is the 2015 Ballpark Digest uh, Minor League Baseball Broadcaster of the Year and has a really intriguing story, and we're going to start on this note with him. Uh, but going back to his childhood, Josh survived cancer, uh, had a football-sized tumor attached to his lung when he was a senior in high school, and that triumph, overcoming that disease, uh, was one of the things that in some respects led him down the broadcasting path, and Josh will detail that for us here off the top. But then our conversation veers a whole bunch of different directions, uh, calling minor league baseball, guys that he's seen coming up through the minor league baseball ranks, uh, what he listens to. Uh, He grew up a Dodgers fan, so his admiration for Vin Scully. We get into all of that. We talk about uh, broadcasting college basketball as well and going to the NCAA tournament, which he's done the last couple of seasons, and then just kind of shoot the breeze two guys who've known each other for a little while sitting in an office and talking so uh some interesting topics we will hit on but we start with josh with his cancer diagnosis when he was in high school going through something that most 18 year olds don't exactly uh, experience in their lifetimes here's josh wetzel of the rochester red wings and buffalo bulls on play-by-play cast uh welcome to muncie Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> How was the ride in? <laughs> uh, took a charter flight this year. Yeah. Not too bad. Into into Muncie International. Uh, yes, that uh, one of those prop jobs though, where you're really crammed in there, makes you a little bit nervous. I've got, I got to be honest with you. The rosary beads come out a little bit. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. a and uh, one of the one of the Buffalo assistant coaches. Uh, whenever we take these charters conveniently uh, finds a way to go on recruiting trips <laughs> to uh, to then you know meet the team on the road after they're already there. That's well done. Yeah. There's a great... So we were just talking earlier about 25 years of Worthen Arena. Mm -hmm. We did a video for it that we played in the arena, and we were going through the archives of things that had happened in video that we have, and Sinbad was the first guy to do, like, an entertainment show here. Sure. And he lost his luggage, and in the first, like, 30 seconds of of the comedy set, he's saying, this wouldn't be a problem if you had an airport in Muncie. And there's like this momentary pause. He goes, and that, that airstrip over there doesn't count. That's a guy out there with a flashlight and a patch of grass going right here, right here. <laughs> well, the last time the last time Buffalo chartered here, uh, chartering back to uh, Buffalo, I don't know if you remember this, uh, we get to the airstrip. It was not the one in Muncie. It was one over by Indianapolis. And it was a, a winter night, and uh, there, was some, there was some snow and ice on the plane, the issue was their de-icing equipment had broken. That's always good. So to de-ice the plane, they pulled it into the hangar and just let nature take its course and melt. So we just hung out in the lobby of that little airstrip <laughs> while the ice melted in the hangar off the plane. Now that How long does an airplane I mean, take It took them? a couple of hours, okay. and needless to say, uh, a lot of Xanax was being popped when we... Got back on that plane. I mean, it was it was a little nerve wracking when we got back on that. I'm sure, plane. Bobby Hurley was thrilled. He was not happy at all <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Probably an understatement. Um, Nobody gave him a technical though. That's pro- that's that's fair. That was yeah. the game he sat down on the court here. Actually, I oh really? He, I don't remember that. Yeah, he like sat. I mean, it wasn't as dramatic as we're making it as okay. I'm making it out to be. But like he he got a, he he took a took a quick seat. I, I think I recall. Well, he was g- generally unhappy at the officials from the opening tip-off until the final buzzer. So, Generally speaking? Generally, yeah. Fair enough. Um, all right, let's dive, into, let's dive into the good stuff. Okay. Um, I read this, and I could have read it wrong. All right. So correct me here. You've got to be one of... Do you have one lung? Only one, yeah. You've got to be one of the only well, broadcasters you, with one lung. You only need one, I guess, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. I would, I would think I'm, uh, I'm on the short list, yeah. 
Um, talk to me about this. Let's go back to the beginning. Okay. Uh, obviously, you've overcome cancer yeah. uh, from that, uh, and you were in high school. Right. What's it like to be a high schooler with cancer? Uh, well, it was. Uh, it wasn't great. I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> there I are better think, ways. I guess the, the timing is, is not good whenever you get diagnosed with that. But it happened. Uh, I got diagnosed with it right before my senior year in high school. And so it kind of uh, derailed my senior year, so to speak. I'm not, I'm not sure if I even should have graduated high school, to be honest with you. But I think one of, the, one of the advantages of growing up in a super small town, as I did, is that the whole community kind of rallied around my family and me and, and gave a lot of support. And that made it made it a lot easier. Suddenly but, uh, the Britlet test becomes less important and they just say you're good. Yeah, yeah, it was, you know, I didn't I didn't make it to a ton of classes my senior year depending on treatments and what was going on and surgeries and, and things like that. So, uh, but I got through it and uh, and here we are. Uh, that's how you got into broadcasting too, isn't it? A little bit. I mean, I was always interested in it growing up and I I didn't really know how I was going to get into radio or broadcasting. Uh, I kind of hung around with the the guy that did the sports broadcasting at the local radio station in my small town. I would help him do stats for high school basketball and football games. And he was kind of a family friend. He was a uh, an amateur baseball umpire at the leagues we all played in when I was a kid. So I knew him. And then, uh, yeah, when I got diagnosed with cancer and was going through all that, a classmate of mine uh, – basically contacted an organization called the Dream Factory, which is like Make-A-Wish. And I was a huge baseball fan, huge Dodgers fan, and kind of a long story short right now, they, they set up a trip to Los Angeles to see the Dodgers and meet some of the Dodgers. So my family and I took that trip. And when I got back, the local radio station uh, asked me if I would go on one of their community programs and talk about the trip. And I, I went on that program with my buddy Steve Hosting, who I used to do stats for, and the uh, the general manager of the radio station afterwards told me, he's like, I, I thought you did a great job on the radio, and we've got a part-time opening. Would you be interested in it? And, I, and a lot of times in, in situations like that, at that time, I would not have gone for it. But I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. And so he had me come in the next day and and uh, read the news into a tape recorder, and and that was kind of my audition, and they hired me to work uh, part-times on the weekend, running the board on Kansas City Royals games or Kansas basketball games and DJing or whatever, and that's kind of how it started. You're uh, Obviously, you were a Dodgers fan growing up. Yeah. Uh, did you meet Scully while you were out there? I did, yeah. That was something else. What was that interaction like? I, I don't really remember too much. I mean, I, uh, I, I've i seen a – I had a picture at that time of my brother and I with him, which uh, I think my brother posted on Facebook uh, when Scully had his last broadcast this year. Uh, so I don't really remember too much about it. I just remember he was really, really nice. Uh, met him and Don Drysdale, who was doing the games with Scully at that time. And I met Scully one other time in St. Louis when I went to a Dodgers game there. Uh, didn't get a, a, a ton of chances to really talk to him. But, uh, yeah, obviously I grew up a, a huge, huge Vince Scully fan. This is going to be a ridiculous question in the broadcasting uh area of things, but why do you like Vin Scully? What draws you to Vin Scully? Well, I mean, it, it started with, I didn't know who Vin Scully was as a broadcaster. That's just who you listen to. I, I just, yeah, and growing up in Kansas, you don't get Dodgers games on the radio at that point. Uh, you know, this was pre-internet. That's true. I hadn't thought know. about that. Yeah. But what, what happened is, I mean, my whole family, uh, everybody was a big Dodgers fan, and this uh, at this time, we lived out in the country on a gravel road, no cable or anything like that. My dad bought one of those big 
satellite dishes, these eight, not like DirecTV, like one of these big eight-foot dishes <laughs> that you would literally move around to catch the different satellite feeds. And uh, at that time, I think Dodgers games were televised maybe 50 or 60 times a year, but you could pick up the raw feed off the satellite with one of these big satellite dishes. And so we would, uh, we would watch those games, and uh, a lot of times on the West Coast, obviously, they would start a lot later uh, from where I grew up in Kansas, and, and even my dad would sometimes tape the end of the games. My, brothers and, my brother and I would watch them in the morning before we went to school, sure. you know, on the, off the VCR. So that was my exposure to him. Uh, not so much at that point as somebody interested in broadcasting, but somebody interested in the Dodgers uh, sure. very intensely. Uh, what makes him good, though? I think it starts with uh, the storytelling aspect of it, you know, and it really his voice just kind of br- kind of draws you yeah, in. Yeah. But just something lyrical and and just mesmerizing about his voice to begin with, and I'm I, I really feel lucky because my first exposure to him at that point is when I I feel like it was really peak Vin Scully. I mean, he was at the the uh, the strength of his powers at that point, if you will, you know, I mean, he had everything going for him at that point, uh, still super, super sharp. Not that he wasn't sharp at the end, especially for somebody his age, but he really still had the fastball when I was first uh, exposed to him. And I think I got the, the full flavor of Vince Scully uh, at his best. How much do you think, uh, kind of growing up as a broadcaster, did you hearken back to well, this is a guy that I kind of grew up with in a lot of ways and pattern uh, what you do after what he did stylistically. Did you did you have anything that was like a Vin Scully tick in you when you first started? Or obviously the way you tell stories, um, is it reflective at all of, of what you heard growing up listening to that? I, you know, that I don't really think so necessarily just because his style is so unique. I think if you if you try to sound like Vin Scully, you're going to fail miserably and you'll just really sound like a complete knockoff. Uh, the one thing I think is so great about him, or among many things, is just how conversational he is. And it always sounds like he's having a one-on-one chat with the, the listener or viewer. And, and hopefully that comes through a little bit when I broadcast a, a baseball game especially. Uh, primarily, though, when I first started sending out tapes to be critiqued, uh, the one name a couple of guys mentioned to me that they thought I sounded a little bit like was Denny Matthews, who I probably was even more exposed to just because it was so easy to hear sure. Royals games where I grew up. And I think when when I definitely listen to old tapes especially, I can, well, that sounds a little bit like Denny <laughs> Matthews. Even on a, on a well-hit fly ball, I used to say belted a lot, which kind of was a phrase that he typically would use on a ball that was crushed. And so the Denny Matthews thing was something I think uh, – that kind of stuck with me a little bit more. Okay, so you're doing small town Kansas radio. Yeah. Um, walk me through going from that to obviously going to college, and then eventually uh, you wound up at KU, and, and how all the chips kind of fall from there. Well, I spent uh, a couple of years at junior college, my hometown. Uh, one of the reasons being that my first year in junior college, I was still undergoing uh, chemotherapy and, and radiation. I guess just chemotherapy at that point. But so I kind of had to stay at home. My mom taught at that junior college also, so I got free tuition. Didn't cost anything. That was a bad. nice bonus. Yeah. And so when I got to KU as a junior, I, I had kind of a leg up, I feel like, on a lot of the other kids who were going into broadcasting because I'd actually worked at a real radio station. Not that I had a, a ton of experience by any means, but I'd actually been on the air before. So that probably helped me out in getting some opportunities there, including the chance to help broadcast uh, Kansas baseball games 
their program's kind of been up and down over the years, but at that time they were good. They actually made the College World Series my junior year. And so, uh, and so from working there, I was able to land a job uh, through Tom Hedrick, who I think you're probably familiar with. Yep, the book. Yep, Tom hooked me up with a job at KSCB Radio out in Liberal, Kansas. And uh, they did all of the games for the Liberal BJs in the Jayhawk League. And uh, that's an amateur summer baseball league. Uh, and it was almost like a minor league. And so I got a ton of baseball experience that summer in Liberal. And it was from those tapes that ultimately I landed my first uh, minor league baseball job. Did you do student radio, basketball? I mean, what, what did they let yeah. you do back then at Kansas? Uh, a lot of stuff. Uh, Probably like at Syracuse, there's a ton of competition to do those games. Sure. And so typically, if you got picked to do a Kansas men's basketball game, you would do play-by-play one half. You would be the analyst in the second half. Same, yeah. Now, they also, at that point, as I recall, the women's basketball games were not on a commercial radio station. And so the KU student radio station became the outlet to hear KU women's basketball. And so KJHK, the student station, would actually go on the road for conference games with the KU women's games. And so I went on a couple of road trips and did women's games, uh, I think my junior and senior year. That's almost the better deal. But it is, yeah, and it was good experience. I remember one of those trips I made with a guy named Bill Glass, who's now an actor and comedian that's <laughs> been in a bunch of Super Bowl commercials. It's always <laughs> funny when I see him on, on, on those commercials now. But my senior year, I, uh, I got a chance to do the scoreboard show which was on the, the flagship station. And so a lot of times I didn't even go to the games. So that kind of precluded me from going to do some of the men's games my senior year. But, I mean, courtside seats at uh, Allen Fieldhouse, tough to get. And at yeah. that point in time, they gave the students a really good spot. Now, they don't get as good a spot now, I don't think, but they're still courtside, which is pretty amazing because that's a kind of high-rent district down there. Who was, uh, who was there when you were there? Uh, Student-wise or player-wise? Um, I was going to say player-wise, okay. but sure, if, if it's uh, notable student-wise, well, sure, we can go that way too. Uh, player-wise, see, I was only there for a couple of years, but Jacques Vaughn was a freshman okay. uh, one of those years. Uh, Greg Ostertag, actually, yes. my Ostertag, my junior year, lived across the hall from me. Was that the – that would have been – what year, What years were you at KU? Like 93, 94. So that was the year Kansas played Ball State in the NCAA tournament. Okay. Boom. Small world. How about that? Yeah, how about that? Ostertag was a freshman yeah. when I was a junior. That's the only reason I knew that, because okay. I remember looking at that box score and I went, Ostertag. Yeah, and you know, the funny thing is, Ostertag was, it was a big baseball fan. And I remember one of those uh, one of those games I did on the radio for KU Baseball. I'm, I'm setting up a Tom Hedrick, getting ready to do the game. We're looking down the line, and there's this enormous person throwing a bullpen <laughs> in full uniform. Like, who is that? And you get the binoculars out. And it's Greg Ostertag at 7-2 or whatever he was throwing a bullpen in some enormous Kansas Jayhawk. <laughs> you know, he, he pitched in high school, believe it or not. That's crazy. And he wanted to try and make the KU baseball team. Uh, didn't happen, but uh, he used to go out there and throw the ball around occasionally. I think he made out well for himself. Yeah, he did okay. Yeah. He did a lot better in the NBA than I thought he would. I used to – I could always remember his name because when I was a kid, I heard Ostertag, and all I could think of were the, like, the Oyster – crackers you right. put in your soup so it was just forever in the brain hey whatever works yeah so um all right so Ostertag was there Chuck Vaughn was there uh, uh yeah Jared Haas was just transferring in Rex Walters was one of the best players on the team uh those were some of the names that kind of stuck out student wise uh who else was around you uh one of my good buddies was Jason Lamb who uh who's 
uh, parlayed uh, that into a long sportscasting career in the Kansas City and Topeka market. He's probably the the one name that jumps up right now. Cole Pepper, who's done a lot of stuff in Jacksonville. Okay. Uh, and then shortly after me, Brian Seaman was there. Okay. With the Clippers, does a great job, I think, in the NBA. He's one of the names that, that came right after me. Um, you go to Liberal. Uh, yeah. How do you bounce around in minor league baseball back in the mid-90s? Today, it's like you, you fire emails to people. Um, yeah. How do you climb those ranks back in, in the mid-90s to get to Albany, to get to New York, uh, and then bounce around New York the way you did? You know, I I guess I just started sending out tapes. and Which was how, like, how much would actually, that cost you to do, too, by the way? I think it was a lot that, more expensive than today, yeah. yeah. We mean, take it for granted now. Right, and it was a lot more difficult to put together a cassette tape. <laughs> you didn't have computer. You're making me sound really old. I'm now, sorry. Well, sorry. <laughs> I'm feeling really old when I talk about it. Uh, but it was just actual cassette tapes, and, and there was a lot more of actually calling people, you know. And uh, you just kind of called around. I think at one point I called a league office, and, hey, are, is there any team in your league that it sounds like might have an opening? And I think that maybe worked. I don't remember exactly how I got hooked up with the folks in Albany off the top of my head. It honestly might still work today, too. Right. It's not <laughs> a terrible idea. Remember that guy that called? Yeah. Maybe we should talk I, to him. I think, it's a, I, mean, I think it's a good idea, quite frankly, to yeah. just pick up the phone and actually call people. Uh, it's funny. Back in, uh, in Albany, let me backtrack. In Albany, the, uh, I worked there one year. The team got sold. And so we all knew with about, I don't know, three, four weeks to go in the season that we were all losing our jobs. The team was going to move to Salisbury, Maryland. And so I called up Tom Hedrick. I'm like, Tom, I'm going to lose my job. Uh, and he hooked me up with a gig at a little radio station in Fairbury, Nebraska. And I don't know if he wants me to tell this story, but I'm going to tell him. <laughs> uh, so somebody at that radio station had gotten hired to do their sports didn't like it and quit after like three or four weeks. And so they needed somebody. They wound up hiring me to go in there. And back in November, Buffalo basketball is playing at Creighton. The game got broadcast on Fox Sports 1, and Kevin Cooler did the game. We're talking, I'm talking to Kevin Cooler before the game. Kevin was the guy that quit. Hilarious. After, and, and I'm like, I, could, I couldn't remember his name, who it was. It was Kevin Kugler. So And I was only there for like, two, three months myself. So the people that ran the radio station were really not happy with him because he was only there for like four weeks. And they weren't very happy with me either when I left. But I didn't realize it was Kevin Kugler who left after only like four weeks and I was the guy that replaced him. They had an ear for talent though, I guess. Yeah, especially in Kevin's case. (laughs) Um, uh, Before I go further in your career, we had Tim Grubbs on this podcast a couple weeks ago. Yeah. uh, And I was talking to him about guys he saw in the minor leagues and like, did you know then what you know now type deals? And he talked about when he was in uh, the South Atlantic League, he saw Vlad Guerrero yeah. for another team. Uh, so what's 20-year-old Vlad Guerrero like on your team? Yeah, he was on Albany, the Polecats. Uh, he was sensational. He was the one guy that I couldn't really communicate with because he just doesn't know English. And I don't think that's really changed over the years. You just really couldn't talk to him. And he didn't talk much anyway. Uh, but it was pretty obvious that he was going to be pretty incredible uh and the south atlantic league that year was absolutely loaded i mean looking back on it there were a ton of players that that wound up having lengthy really good careers and that albany team had 13 or 14 guys i think that made the major leagues 
and finished almost 20 games under 500, <laughs> which is, I mean, 13, 14 guys off a South Atlantic League team making the major leagues is it's pretty impressive. Asinine, yeah. And uh, and they were terrible <laughs> in terms of wins and losses. We had here in Boca Chica too. So that just... Boca Chica made almost 60 errors. He was the everyday oh, shortstop, and he missed he missed about a month of the season with an ankle injury, and I think committed 56 errors, something like that. So defense was a big part of the problem with those polecats. But I, I learned a ton that year. The manager was Doug Sisson, and he was a pretty young manager. But you know, he kind of brought me under his wing, so to speak, and. I didn't know what I I thought I knew what I was doing, but I really had no idea. And and he really taught me a lot that first year about how pro uh, pro baseball works. And I just really learned a lot. I want to come back to that, but uh, real quick as well, who else have you seen? And Triple A gets easy, so let's go back. Yeah. Uh, go back before then. Um, guys that you saw that you th- was cool to see, or on a separate note, guys that you just liked working with in the minors. You mean broadcasters? Um, player wise. Player wise. Uh, that team in Albany, we had Vlad Guerrero, Brad Fulmer. I remember the interesting thing about Brad Fulmer, who was also really, really young at that point, is I did an interview with him, speaking of guys good to work with. I did an interview with him early that season, and after it was over, he said to me, he's like, hey, whenever you want somebody to do an interview, let me know. He's like, I need to get good at this, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, he's, he, was, he was very confident that he was going to be – a very good major league player, and he wanted to be good at doing interviews. And so whenever I was in a bind, I would just go to Brad Fulmer and ask him <laughs> to do the interview. Uh, so that worked out pretty well. But, uh, I mean, in the South Atlantic League that year, Andrew Jones was in Macon, and it didn't take a genius to figure out that he was going to be sensational also. Uh, the next year I was in Kinston, and guys like Russell Brannion were on that team. Jarrett Wright was a... You have a, to call it down east now, by the way. Yeah, which doesn't make sense because... Kinston is not down east. <laughs> it's down north. I mean, it's east, but they, <laughs> Kinston's not referred to as down east, which I, I've not been able to figure out yet. Uh, but that in, in Kinston, in the four years I was there, we had a lot of good players come through there, too. Uh, there, there, there are a lot of guys to mention. It's, uh, uh, it's a long list. Let's talk about learning. You talked about that, that year in Albany. Um, what's it like learning the ropes throughout minor league baseball? And, and what are the things that early in your career in minor league baseball you figured out um, – be it about broadcasting, be it about sports, be it about what these guys do and how to interact with them. What were some of those notable early lessons? Uh, you know, I, I feel like I was fairly well prepared to broadcast the games when I started. It's not like it's not like a month into my time in Albany, I was thinking like, wow, how am I going to do 140 games like this? That was never really a big issue, I, I don't think, for me, fortunately. But I, I just think over the years, the way I've prepared for games has changed a lot. Uh, partially because of the internet. I mean, Al Gore had not invented the internet when I was starting out, you know, <laughs> and now you've, you've got so much information that you can access right at your fingertips that you really have to become uh, judicious at, at how you spend your time and, and what you prepare for each game. Uh, I think it's really easy to get bogged down and, and fall down that internet wormhole of, of just going from one site to another. And the next thing you know, it's time to broadcast the game and, and it's it's too late. I think, and then you don't actually know anything. And you don't know anything. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the good things is when I started out, because it was pre-internet, the best way to find information was actually go down there and talk to the guys. Uh, and I see some broadcasters these days that just show up at the ballpark and, and set up their equipment, open up their laptop, and you never see them down on the field. And 
I think you have to go. The, the best stuff you get is when you go down to the locker room, down to the field, down to batting practice, and actually talk to people. That's still the best way, I think, to get information that's going to be interesting to your listeners or viewers. This is going to be a silly question, potentially. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, what do you talk about? And I, and I mean it from the standpoint of I go down to the cage even here, and for the most part I watch. Occasionally I've got good enough relationships with certain guys that will joke about non-baseball related things. I'll ask them what they remember about guys they face and that kind of stuff, what they throw, which gets a myriad of yeah. sometimes okay answers. Uh, but for the most part, uh, what do you ask guys about as far as what they're going through or what they're working on or anything of that nature that both gets you good information but also doesn't make it come across as if you're down there to get information? Right. Uh, that's a good question. I think what's worked for me is to, first of all, establish a normal relationship with a guy. So, hey, what'd you have for lunch today? Yeah. For one thing, a lot of times I'm interested in that <laughs> because I'm always looking for new places, whether it's True. on the road or at home, that, yeah. that might be good to eat. So for one, so that accomplishes part of that. <laughs> uh, but just to establish kind of a normal relationship with them first, and then you can kind of go into the other maybe more X's and O's stuff. Uh, and then in AAA, sometimes you'll have guys on the team three, four, five years in a row that That's you really cool. get to know well. I mean – I've literally started going to some guys that I know well, like, hey, you know, I need something to talk about tonight. Give me a nugget. I, I, <laughs> I've literally said that to guys and gotten some good stuff. I'm like, no, you have to be careful because they might mess with you. But you, you get to know certain guys that maybe you can trust a little bit. Uh, you know, before the season starts, I'll go down there to find out what the pitchers throw. I'll be like, look, I don't want to sound stupid on the air. What pitches do you throw? You know, and then sometimes guys will be like, oh, you know, a screwball knuckleball uh, you know they'll try to mess with you a little bit but you just have to figure out which guys are are doing that and which ones aren't but uh, I think it all begins with kind of starting a normal relationship with somebody and then kind of branching off from that what do you get from BP um, because and Tim even mentioned this a couple of weeks ago too there's the realization that they are at work yeah um, but also observing what they do and being able to kind of pluck some nuggets from what's going on that day. You know, a lot of times you don't get anything really, but uh, some vitamin D hopefully from the sun True. and just being seen for you. So they know you're around and you're, you're not like the guy who's just dropping in to talk about them. There's certainly a value in that also, no question. Uh, and a lot of times, and depending on who your coaches are, I think you're hitting coach around the cage. You might hear him say something to a, to a hitter. Uh, and then you can maybe go to the coach later and ask him more about that. You know, it depends on the coach, but that can be very helpful. And I think it's also important not to just go down there and hang out around the cage when it's, quote unquote, your team, the team that you work for. You know, go down there and introduce yourself to the manager or coaches from the other side also. Or, or something I've started to do as well, if I see a, if I read an interesting story on the internet about a player on, the, on a team that I don't broadcast for, say for Pawtucket, I might want to go down there and clarify that with him fair you know and and because then also sometimes you get additional information that might help your story sound even better uh so i think that makes a lot of sense too and then you just become more well known around the league guys start to see your face they feel like they can trust you and you get more stuff uh how do you get a major league baseball job i have no idea joel (laughs) (laughs) i have no clue what's that what's that quest like uh Frustrating, I guess, is the first uh, thing that pops into mind, but I, I don't think there's any one answer. I think it used to be more 
of what you might call a normal route where you get a, a minor league job and you move your way up the ladder and then eventually somebody hires you from AAA, hopefully, but it doesn't necessarily seem to work that way as much anymore. So I, I don't really think there's any one path. I think a lot of it has to do with luck. I think you've got to be good. But uh, if I knew the, the good answer to that question, I, I think hopefully I would have a job right now. <laughs> have you done some spring training stuff and been around big league clubs that way? A little bit. You know, I go to spring training normally for a week or so okay. uh, near the end. Uh, I've done one major league game uh, during the regular season and, and part of another. But, uh, but, yeah, that's about it. What's it like doing that, doing that one? Especially because it's one and, you know, right. you want to do it right and kind of putting pressure on yourself or how you handled that well it was a lot of fun you know but it was it was a little nerve-wracking but the one game that i did was uh, as it turned out the game in which mariano rivera set the all-time save record so it turned out to be a little bit of a historic game that works which was fun and i remember when i found out i was going to do that particular game i looked on the schedule and i'm like that that could potentially be one of those games where rivera might have a chance at setting the record, and, and that's absolutely how it turned out. What was the circumstances around that? The uh, the Twins had a make Now, first of all, I work in Rochester, which is a Twins affiliate, and uh, the Twins had an April game in New York City that got rained out, and they wound up uh, making it up in September on a, a one-day makeup game. They had an off day. Both teams had an off day on the schedule, so the Twins flew in, played one game, and left. And uh, the Twins, instead of having, you know, that's one of those situations where nobody's real happy <laughs> to just fly in there for one game and then leave. Yeah. And, uh, and so Dan Gladden didn't make the trip. And so they had me uh, do the game with John Gordon. What's that like uh, just showing up and <laughs> walking into the booth? And, I mean, obviously you know those guys, but I'm that here. Made it yeah, that yeah. made it a lot better, the fact that I already knew John Gordon, knew Kyle Hammer, the engineer, knew a lot of the players. I mean, a lot of the players... Had come through September, Rochester. Yeah. More than half the lineup, I think, that day had played for Rochester, maybe even that season. Uh, so that made it a lot easier, uh, for sure. What makes a good baseball broadcast, in your eyes? Well, I think it, it starts with the... It depends if it's radio or TV, but if you're talking about radio, uh, obviously describing things as colorfully and as accurately as possible with the, the good mixture of stories and and anecdotes that kind of color things from there. And, uh, you know, it depends on the game. It, it, it could be a 2-1 nail-biting pitcher's duel that is over in two hours and ten minutes, or it could be a, a real, you know, snooze fest, 10-3, to 3, that takes three hours and 55 minutes. So it could be any, anything in between there, and it just uh, it's up to you to try to make it as entertaining and informative as possible for the listener. How do you keep things fresh from the from the storytelling perspective when it's not regarding players in particular? I mean, I think about, you know, I mean, I do college baseball at this mm -hmm. point where there's a lot less about guys out there. Right. Um, so I, I know every time we play a doubleheader, it is written in my scorebook, the statistical numbers on the fact that it is harder to win both games of a doubleheader. And I want to shoot myself every, like, fifth inning when I go... All right, time to talk about how hard it is to win both games of a doubleheader. Um, how do you approach things just from a general, larger-picture storytelling standpoint of things that are not related to the two teams on the field but that are really good time fills? Well, I, just, I read and think about baseball a lot. I mean, baseball is my number one sport as far as a fan goes. Sure. And I think baseball would be very difficult to broadcast well 
if you hadn't grown up as a huge fan and had been really absorbed with it for a long, long time. And so I feel like I've got a good backlog of stories already built in, but I do a, a ton of reading. I have a ton of books about baseball and, you know, I go to a lot of different websites and read stuff and, and I keep track of all those things. Uh, I think one of the, one of my secrets, if you will, uh, that I, I think is perfect for baseball broadcasters is something called Evernote. Okay. Or, or the Microsoft version of it is OneNote. I know certain major league broadcasters use this, but it's a great way to keep track of, of things you read and it, and makes it very easy to find things with just a few keystrokes. What's it do? I, uh, I know I have it. It always pops up when I reboot and I just close it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> basically, it's a great way to keep track of all your information and you can find it super, super easily with just a few keystrokes. For example, if I'm reading an article on Byung-Ho Park for the Twins, who just got designated for assignment uh, a, a few hours ago, I can, with one button, clip that story into Evernote. And so I've got it. And so when I prepare for a broadcast that Byung-Ho Park might be playing in, I can just search my Evernote files for Byung-Ho Park. And every single article I've clipped for Byung-Ho Park mm. or that features him pops up. And that just makes it easier to keep track of information you might have on each player, each team, whatever the case may be. And, and I will, you know, I just clip little interesting baseball stories out. And so occasionally I'll just go back and start reading through some of these what I'll tag miscellaneous baseball stories or stories that I've uh, uh, tagged with baseball history. And so I kind of have some of those on the the top of my mind, so to speak. So if something happens in a game, it hopefully will trigger that memory. And if I don't remember it right away, I know that during a commercial break, I can just type into Evernote and and that story will pop up. Oh, yeah. It's a little bit of a a shortcut and it's worked all right for me. This is a little more wonky, but... how do you get into stuff that, all right, you, you found some stuff, you found some stuff that's a miscellaneous baseball story, you want to get in. What's the right way to bridge that gap between uh, top of the seventh inning, yeah. Red Wings up three to two? That's a bad example. Red Wings up 10 to two. Uh, I saw this today. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. You don't want to force anything in there. Uh, and I think we've all probably gotten into that trap where we've done a ton of preparation and then you, you cram it all in there and it just muddies up the broadcast. Yeah. It doesn't sound very good. I think it's just a feel thing. Uh, sometimes there are probably some tricks you can use to, if it is a 10-2 to two game, negotiate yourself around to a point where you can, oh, by the way, bring that up yeah. and, and make it sound like it just popped into your head when really you've been <laughs> thinking about it already. Uh, and that's just one of the – I don't know if there's a, a good trick to doing that, but just over the course of time you probably learn ways that you can sort of do that. There's a secrets to good storytelling in baseball. Do you, do you well, have any bullet points? Not especially. I think listening to somebody like Vin Scully, who's the best ever at it, yeah. uh, certainly can help. But uh, it's always good advice, of course, not to start a story with two outs. Now, again, Vin Scully's an example of a guy who would do that. The game then, will wait for Vin to finish. Oh, of course. Yeah. And then the guy'd foul it off 10 straight pitches or whatever. <laughs> um, but that's a kind of a good rule of thumb, I suppose. But you want to try to keep it relatively concise and uh, if it's something that really isn't going to have a payoff at the end maybe just keep it to yourself but the best way to do it is keep it as concise as possible and and hopefully have a payoff at the end but I don't know that 
I don't know that good storytelling is something that you can necessarily get great at if you're not okay at it already, if sure. that makes any sense. Sure. But you probably already have that ability to begin with in some capacity anyway. But you can probably still improve, and I think that just comes over the course of time probably. At this point in your career, uh, especially when you're doing games every day, how much do you listen back to last night? Not as much as I should. I, I try to listen a little bit every day, but I think one of the things that hopefully I will do moving forward is when I listen to what I did the day before, listen with a more critical ear as opposed to just kind of tuning in for five or ten minutes and not really keeping track of, oh, this was good, this was bad. I think I should do a better job of that because it's it's really important to do that to stay out of bad habits. Uh, there definitely have been some bad habits you can fall into that if you aren't listening with a critical ear the next day, you might not have a chance to fix. What do you think? Uh, what do you think Josh Wetzel is best at uh, on a baseball broadcast, and and what are some mm. habits you uh, you like to break? Best at? Uh, I don't know. I no. I, I think I'm pretty conversational and easy to listen to. I guess that would that would probably be number one. And bad habits I'd like to break. I mean, there have been times where maybe you fall into a crutch using a certain word or phrase over and over again, and it might only last a week. When you listen back, oh, man, I wish I hadn't said that all the time for that week. And then maybe the next week, it's another word or phrase. Uh, again, listening back more consistently, I think, is a good way to stay out of that. Probably that would be the main thing, just making sure I'm not repeating certain words and phrases as much. I think I could definitely do a better job of that with basketball. Uh, but I guess that would be part of it. I don't know. What do you think I need to work on? Oh, I was just, Give me some I, ideas. It's a hard, <laughs> well, it's a hard question. because like. I just, Once I asked it, I was like, Josh, tell me how great you are in this area. Well, and, I was like, and, how can you answer that? Well, and as far as things I'd like to improve, I think you can always probably get better. I mean, yeah. at a certain point, you reach how good you're going to get, and then it, you <laughs> fall down the back hill side, and there's nothing you can do anymore. But I, I think overall, I could always get better and smoother at everything, hopefully, sure. at this point. Um, what am I keeping you from right now, by the way? Because we're, we're at almost 40 minutes, so I don't want to... Nothing in... Nothing big. Okay, I didn't know. Like, uh, we've got a nine o'clock tip off tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what do, you, what do you do on the road? Uh, uh, do you work for the Red Wings full time? So like, I do. Yeah. So you take a day off to go travel for these games? Yeah. Yeah. Te I mean, technically, technically, my body. Okay. You know, you I don't do you sell? Yes. Okay. So you, like, a little bit. You could yeah. be like, you got to make your sales calls and things. Yeah, like that. kind okay. of. That was yeah. Um, I help the PR guy with some stuff. Gotcha. But uh, yeah. Um. What do you like about doing basketball? In addition, I'm just basketball's fun. You know, basketball is uh, something I've always liked. College, you know, I didn't play at a very high level, obviously, but uh, college basketball, growing up in Kansas as a Jayhawks fan, is something you real quick a on that for. note. By the way, yeah, we had never met, and I didn't. I had never seen a picture of you. So in 2009, our first road trip from Buffalo to Rochester, the visiting radio window, like insanely hard to get up. Um, okay. And I just remember I was trying to lift the window and I couldn't get it up. And Duke McGuire goes, just wait until Wetzel gets here. He'll raise that thing up real easy. And I went and I turned around and go, what is he like a big, like buff, strong dude? And Duke just goes, you wait. <laughs> so, <laughs> small, What's that all about? <laughs> small, small anecdote as far as not playing basketball very long. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I got to get Duke back about that now. That sounds like something Duke would say. Uh, yeah, just, you know, 
basketball's fun to do. And and one of the frustrating things though about basketball is I actually like the preparation process of of a broadcast. Mm. And I could prepare all I want for this Ball State game tonight, and there's a really good chance I'm not going to be able to use very much of the information <laughs> of at it. all. <laughs> Especially like the game tonight will probably be pay, played at a very quick tempo. And you just don't get a chance to use a lot of the stuff, especially in radio, that you may have prepared for the broadcast that night in basketball. So that is, on the one hand, the frustrating thing. On the other hand, if you haven't prepared that great, let's face it, you and I can fake our way through. And a lot of the people listening aren't probably going to know much of a difference. Yeah. You know? Uh, what do you... We had this conversation. We're recording this on a Friday. Um, so Rich Javotkin's episode came out, who works solo today. Okay. Um, and we talked, and it wasn't part of the podcast, but we talked afterward about the difficulties of doing a game solo and picking up different things that teams are doing and noticing defenses and all that, noticing off-ball things and things of that nature. Um, how good have you gotten at noticing, at being able to, to be your own analyst at times in a radio broadcast where you have to be so dominant on physically the play-by-play of what's going on? I would say that's a great question, actually. I don't think I'm great at that for the most part. I think it probably depends. There might be some games where I pick up on something and I can pat myself on the back. But I would say, in general, I'm not great at that. And it's, you know, I used to do games in Buffalo with a guy named Pete Lonergan, who was a Division One head coach, and he was awesome. Loved doing games with him. And it's nice to be able to lean on the analyst in that situation, I think your analyst is terrific. David here yeah. does a really good job and is, is really well prepared for the games, which is nice uh, because not everybody on the analyst side, not to put anybody down, but at, at this level, a lot of guys on the analyst side ne- don't necessarily do all the prep work. Sure. And, and so it's great when you have somebody like that. Uh, but yeah, I, I know what you're, you're saying there. You're so locked in and describing the action that you're not noticing maybe some of the intricacies of what's actually happening during the game, and that can be a little frustrating. We played a game. We were at Eastern last Tuesday. I think it was last Tuesday we were at Eastern. They played man for like the last two and a half minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. And the guy sitting next to me uh, looks at me and goes, we pulled them out of the zone. And I went, we pulled them out of the zone? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, how did you not notice that? I was like, I just assumed they were in zone. I didn't think about it. My analyst didn't say anything, and I'm just worried about where we're getting shots. And it was only one play. Yeah. So it just didn't register with one possession and... 38 minutes in the books I didn't think to look at and it and nothing clicked I mean it there's still two at the top and three at the bottom I didn't think formationally it's just one of those weird things I, with basketball I found myself in that exact same situation I know exactly what you're talking about yeah um now what's calling an NCAA tournament game like you don't know yet well yeah but I'm <laughs> sorry I, I mean I, I, well not professionally uh I, mean, I was right. in I was in college right. but uh you know it's fun and I tell you what's great about it is and you and I have been in, in situations. In fairness, too, you're the only broadcaster in Buffalo history to ever call an NCAA That's tournament game. a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as you and I both know in this particular league, there are a couple of vantage points that aren't great around the Mid-American <laughs> Conference. Yes. All right? At the NCAA tournament, where they have a ton of media, obviously, they give radio four seats courtside, each team. And you are well taken care of. You've got all the Ethernet cables you want. You've got crowd. Uh, you've got effects feeds. Uh, they're running stats. They're running post-game quotes. It is awesome. You are extremely well taken care of. And so, you know, if you run into any issues whatsoever, you can just go grab someone. They'll take care of it. It's really comforting to know that. And then the energy level is is incredible. 
So uh, it's great. I mean, it, it's the most fun thing to broadcast in college basketball, I think. Where were you guys? Two years ago at Columbus, and okay. then uh, last year in Providence okay. at the Dunkin' Donuts Center, which is an older venue, but they had the place packed. They did a great job. It was really, really fun. Best moment for you doing that stuff? I mean, like, I, I don't know if you rub elbows with a kind of person or just be in that kind of setting, or I don't, I don't know. I think just uh, the fact that Buffalo won the MAC tournament two years ago to get to the NCAAs meant so much to a lot of the people that I'm friends with and I work with at UB because they'd been around for a long time and they'd never gotten there. It just, it was really fun to see and experience almost through their eyes yeah. how exciting and gratifying it was, even if they didn't have anything actually to do with the team X and O's wise. It, w- it was really gratifying to, to see the experience through their eyes of finally get breaking through and getting to the tournament. I heard the call from last year. Uh-huh. Uh, do you remember what you said for the first title? No, I don't. <laughs> did I you don't. did you think I mean is that did you think about it that day? Uh I think I did think about it, but I'm not one of these guys that necessarily that plan out ahead of time. Uh I think I wanted to have a general idea. Yeah. So you don't I get don't, caught with your pants down right. like I, right. they win. I don't yeah. think that's a terrible idea, by the way, to think of a general phrase or something you want to say, but then when the moment actually happens, you want it to be pretty organic, obviously. Uh, but yeah, off the top of my head, I don't remember exactly what I did say. I must think the the winning the championship at the MAC level has to almost be equally as cool as being able to be in an NCAA tournament, um, just because of the fact that you win and the euphoria that's around that. Um, and right now, this is a one big league. One hundred percent. You've got to win the MAC tournament. So uh, you're right, and they do a great job in Cleveland. The Quicken Loans Arena is a terrific venue. Yeah. Uh, we're not courtside there, but True. that broadcast perch. Is actually a pretty good vantage. Although point. neither are the Cavs, so right because they're <laughs> that's true. <laughs> they're too. But it's a it's a good vantage point, and again, they, they take good care of us up there, so it's a it's a really good situation. I I love broadcasting the MAC tournament. Um, what have we missed? What else can we get to? I don't know. By the way, I haven't broadcast a MAC tournament in Cleveland in three years, so I really I really yeah, don't you know. didn't even go there last year, did you? No, we haven't been since my first year here. But I mean, you weren't even so, there, right? You didn't go help for. Oh no, I didn't go for. I yeah. went to baseball. Was on the That's road, right? There, yeah. Um, it's fun though. It's fun. Yeah. So I'm just the only time I've. <laughs> the only time I went, they they went to clean my. They they left my room open, uh, for an entire day because they went to clean it and then left all the cleaning supplies in my room and the door was open. So that was kind of, yeah. In the Renaissance. Yeah. Yeah. I thought like I'd been robbed for a minute. Um. But yeah, that's the only experience I have there. The um, the thing that was cool though. Two years ago, that team was rolling so well at the end of the season, mm. and we were the five twelve game. Okay, and so everybody was picking Buffalo to beat West Virginia. We were like oh, the yeah. sexy pick that That's right. year. That's right. I had you. Which yeah, I'll, everybody was picking Buffalo to beat West Virginia, and then Moss got hurt before the game, and wasn't a hundred percent. If Moss would have been a hundred percent, I think Buffalo probably would have won yeah. uh, because it was a good game. But that that did make it interesting going into that game because Buffalo. It, to many people, was favored. It was the buzz. Yeah, it was, it was the game everybody was talking about. Yeah. Um, you had to go home much? Like, do you miss that? Going home to see family? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. You haven't worked anywhere near there. Nowhere near. I never thought, I mean, I'd never been to the Northeast at all until I got the job in Binghamton. And uh, so, yeah, it's a, now I've been here in the Northeast, you know, the majority of my career. Yeah, I do miss going back uh, to see family and friends a lot. But 
not much you business. can do about it. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, Josh, I will. Uh, I'll let you go, and we'll uh, we'll drive you back to the hotel. But uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks for stopping by. No problem. Wel- man. Welcome to the green room, quite literally. Can we have some fun with this green screen? We can. Here? Yeah. If Do you want to take a picture, stuff? we can put you in Hawaii. I love that idea. Yeah. That I, was one of my best experiences with UB basketball. Hawaii. Hawaii. A week in Hawaii, full paid. Also, I I heard another. I was listening to an interview you did. It's on YouTube, and you talked about all the states you've broadcast in. Okay. And you said you'd never been to Alaska. That's different now. That's off. Yep. Yeah. That week in Hawaii was one of the most fun weeks of my life. What'd you do in Hawaii? It was the uh, Rainbow Classic. That was the last one. Okay. Uh, and Buffalo won it. How many? What, how many years ago was this? It was in '08. Okay. I believe '08, and uh, the field wasn't as strong as it had been years ago. But Doesn't Buffalo matter. Still you were still there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> still won. It was a tremendous experience. And hey, being in Hawaii, expense free is pretty good. Not bad. And uh, staying just blocks away from Waikiki Beach, pretty cool. It Not was bad. a it was a fun deal. Good deal. Yeah. I got nothing else. Okay. All right. We're good. <laughs> can you get me? Uh, can I stop by someplace and get lunch? Uh, yeah, for sure. That's cool. Yeah, right. Many thanks to Josh Wetzel joining us here on the podcast. Uh, Evernote, by the way, that he brought up that computer program, and I think OneNote is the Microsoft one. Uh, OneNote is installed on my computer already. It, it always, whenever I restart, it always opens, and I I never knew what it was, and I always just closed it because it was annoying. Um, I still do it because I don't like it, but I went and downloaded Evernote. Because I, I had an old computer, and Evernote also automatically opened every time I restarted or, or, or started my computer, and I didn't know what it was. It was just an elephant on a green box, and I didn't know what it was for. Uh, but but <laughs> it's just like a source of great frustration for me. Uh, but Josh brought it up, and we talked about it, uh, and I used it this past week, and my God, is it amazing. Uh, it, if you're the kind of person that does intense Google research in terms of, I mean, you sit in front of a computer, and when you prep for a game, you just start Googling players. And then you start Googling things that you find about players. Uh, Aziz Ansari does a great stand-up where he talks about the internet is such a great distracting tool because you'll sit down, you'll be watching Home Alone, and you'll say, ah, Joe Pesci's on. I should sit down and find out every other movie Joe Pesci's in. Uh, and then and then you just start veering off in different directions. I do that a lot, and that's how I know random facts about Joe Pesci. Um, but uh, when you have Evernote, it's great because it keeps all of that stuff organized. A lot of times, I will veer off on these tangents on the internet, finding different pieces of information, and then not remember how I got to them. Uh, and bookmarks are great, but... They're bookmarks. I you can't you can only organize bookmarks in a certain way. You know, your favorites tabs in a certain way. Evernote is cool because you can put everything on certain note cards and you can organize it in different notebooks. And Josh was talking about you know he's got you know cards for each player of each team once you get into minor league baseball season. And it's just really good reference and it's very easily updatable. And if you're a guy that in uh, in baseball season for me in particular, now that I call uh, college baseball too. Every guy on Ball State's roster has his own note card where I keep information. Uh, Evernote's just a lot better system. And you could do it on Microsoft Word, too, but then you're always sifting through pages and hitting find. Evernote, you just look for the note card on the guy. It's like digital note card keeping. So if you uh, have never used Evernote or OneNote, this is my unpaid uh, um, advertisement for Evernote. This is my Kellyanne Conway of Evernote. 
so go ahead and, and, and check it out. It's free. You can download it on the internet and uh, just give it a shot. Give it a try. I've been playing around with it for the last week, and uh, I think I like it. So thanks to Josh for, for bringing that to my attention because I never knew what it was, and it always opened every time I rebooted, and now I use it. So uh, that's Evernote for you. One quick note also, and I wish, I wish I would have done this podcast a week later with Josh. If you listen to the Tim Grubbs episode, you know I have an affinity for ridiculous things in minor league baseball, uh, which includes ridiculous team names. I like stupid jerseys. I think the the Redding Fightins, the Fightin' Phils, changing their name to the Redding Whoopie Pies and using the hashtag we love whoopee is the most amazing thing ever for a minor league baseball team because where else can you get away with that? Nowhere else. Uh, the Rochester Red Wings came out on Twitter uh, yesterday, if you're listening to this podcast on time, with a new concession item. It's called the Trash Can. And they literally, it, the, I don't know what it is. There was just a picture of it on Twitter. They just It looked like they just threw food into a cup. It looked like there was some spaghetti or mac and cheese. I don't know. But it, it, it was some sort of pasta thing, and it was in there. And I really wish I could have asked Josh about it, because um, maybe he could have enlightened me on what's in it. But if you go to a Rochester Red Wings game this year, if you're a minor league baseball broadcaster listening to this, go eat the trash can and let me know, please, what's in it, because I'm very curious. That being said, uh, we are out of time, though. So many thanks to Josh Wetzel for joining us here on the podcast. Uh, endorsement of Evernote, endorsement of the trash can, and... Uh, I guess we're out of endorsements for the day. Music is playing, so we got to get up on out of here. We will see you back here next week, though. Another great guest here on Play By Playcast. Uh, my name is Joel Gadet, and we're out. Yeah.